0: We meet today in 1st Thessalonians chapter 1 verse 5 to verse 10. Still talking about the coming of Christ as an inspiring hope. In our last study, we looked at Paul's introductory remarks to the Thessalonians. He was thankful to God for their growth in the faith and he continued to pray for them. Remembering without ceasing your work of faith, labor of love, and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ, in sight of our God and Father, we saw how Paul associated the three Christian graces—faith, love, and hope—the Trinity. He highlights also in First Corinthians, chapter thirteen, verse thirteen, and now abides faith. Hope, love, these three, but the greatest of these is love. The Thessalonians were able to experience these graces because of God's election of them. Now today we want to understand this mysterious doctrine of election. The text before us will make clear the intimate relationship of election to the gospel of Christ, the preached word and the ministry of the Holy Spirit. The gospel received in much assurance and much affliction. First Thessalonians chapter 1 verse 5 says, For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and in much assurance, as you know what kind of men we were among you for your sake. This verse begins with the word for. That word introduces a clause that explains the way in which election works. Paul is saying, you know that when we came among you, we were just human beings, just weak human beings with lips and tongues of clay. All we could do was say words, but we gave out the word of God, and the word of God came to you, not in word only, but in power and in the Holy Spirit. Well, the thing that is so tremendous is that the Spirit of God uses the Word of God. That is our confidence. Even right now, as I share God's Word, my confidence is the Word of God is taken by the Spirit and applied to our hearts. The Word of God went into Thessalonica, that Roman colony, which was a pagan and heathen, And was controlled by one of the greatest political and military powers this world has known. And there it reached the hearts. And there the gospel reached the hearts and lives of people and transformed them. That is what happened in Thessalonica and it can still happen today. It still happens to people who are open to the gospel. Let me repeat verse 5 because it is such an important verse. For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power, and in the Holy Spirit, and in much assurance, as you know what kind of men we were among you for your sake. The first thing necessary is for a person to hear the word. That is the factual basis. People must hear the gospel. So then faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Romans chapter 10 verse 17. That is the natural part of the process, my friend. But that doesn't end there, because the word of God is a supernatural book. You must hear, understand the book, but if the supernatural aspect does not come in, it will just be facts. And so you find that in the world we have many people who even have hold doctoral degrees in the scriptures. But if the Spirit of God is not applying that word to the hearts of those people, they only know the facts. They are never transformed. Without the Holy Spirit, the gospel is merely words. With the Holy Spirit, it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. This is exactly what the Lord Jesus said the Holy Spirit would do in John chapter 16, verse 7 to verse 11, he said, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. And when he has come, he will convict the world of sin, and of righteousness, and of judgment. Of sin, because they do not believe in me. Of righteousness, because I go to my Father and you see me no more, of judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. You see, the Holy Spirit ought to come in. You hear the word of God, the factual level, but let the supernatural, let the the spiritual part be done by the Spirit of God. It is the Holy Spirit who takes that word to give it power, Power to transform lives. Power for the regenerating of a new creature. Power even for overcoming the temptations. And you became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Spirit. First Thessalonians chapter 1 verse 6. Now here Paul could cite Silas and Timothy and himself as examples. Personally, I would hesitate to give myself as an example. I don't think I'm a very good one. But Paul the Apostle, going from place to place through the Roman Empire, offered himself as an example of the believers. And so he could say, you became followers of us and of the Lord Jesus. Having received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Spirit, Affliction here, or suffering, and the joy are two words that are actually antipodes apart. They are as far apart as the east is from the west. They don't belong together. They are as extreme as night is from daylight, as cold is from heat. They are not things that we could associate together. If a person is suffering and is in affliction... He cannot have joy according to our natural way of looking at it. And if he is having joy in this life, then surely he isn't suffering. But these words are used together by the apostle, having received the word of God in much affliction, with the joy of the spirit. You see, only when we receive things at the Natural level, we will not be able to understand how joy can come into place. But when the Spirit of God has come, the joy can even come when people are in affliction or in suffering. I must confess that there have been wonderful saints of God who have endured affliction. And at the same time, they have had the joy of the Lord in their hearts. That is real triumph. We hear a lot about healing today, and I thank God that he heals people as he wants. How wonderful it is. But I know some saints of God who are a lot more wonderful than I ever hope to be. There are some who are even more faithful in their walk with God, who are saturated in prayer, who are saturated in God's word. These people are lying right now on their beds of pain, beds of affliction, And they have the joy of the Lord in their hearts, even though they are going through pain. There is not a person today who is enjoying the world's entertainment and is suffering at the same time. The world cannot put these two words together. Paul says that the word was received in much affliction. There was suffering, persecution, and heartache. But there was the joy of the Spirit also. That is The bitter sweet of life. That is like the Chinese dish they call sweet and sour. For the Christian, there can be that which is sour and bitter in life. While at the same time, there is a sweetness in the heart and life. Because of a relationship with Christ. Because of the union with Christ. And that joy is brought about by the Spirit of God so that you became examples to all in Macedonia and Achaia who believe. 1 Thessalonians 1 verse 7 These believers who followed the example of Paul and of the Lord Jesus became examples themselves in Macedonia and Achaia. And Macedonia and Achaia here refers to the European section of the Greco-Macedonian Empire of Alexander the Great. The church at Thessalonica, a Roman colony, was an example after just a few months to all the other churches. That is a glorious, wonderful testimony that they had. Today we often hear of individual Christians who are examples to others. However... There are actually very few churches which are known far and near as being examples of the Christian faith. I think it is strange that we do not have more local churches which are examples to all believers. Why? Because the churches have simply become human organizations having departed from the real call that God called the church to do. The believers at Thessalonica and even their church, was a testimony. The results of the gospel is the next subject we want to talk about. For from you, the word of the Lord has sounded forth, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place. Your faith toward God has gone out so that we do not need to say anything, for they themselves declare concerning us what manner of entry we had to you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God 1st Thessalonians 1 verse 8 to verse 9 here we see that Paul found that wherever he travelled the reputation of this church had already gone ahead of him The believers were already talking about the church in Thessalonica, so it wasn't necessary for Paul to tell them anything about it. This reveals something of the great reputation of this church which it had in that day. Paul's commendation of the intense evangelistic and missionary zeal of the Thessalonian Christians bears testimony to the importance of these activities in the life of the first century church. Their witness went beyond their homes into different parts of the Roman Empire. One dimension of their witness was in the quality of life that salvation produced in them. They had turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. Their testimony is likened to the ringing blast of a trumpet, the echo of which continues to be heard. That they had such a reputation despite persecution is a marvellous testimony of their faith towards God. It is during times of difficulty that one's faith in the Lord is especially precious, sustaining, and essential. And to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he has raised from the dead, even Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come 1st Thessalonians chapter 1 verse 10 Please note that we have already looked at verses 9 to verse 10 in connection with verse 3 where we considered the three graces of the Christian faith faith hope and love You see their response gave witness to the kind of entering in Paul and Silas and Timothy had heard with them Paul tells what their response was. Your work of faith, how you tend to God from idols. Your labor of love to serving the living and true God. And your patience of hope to wait for his son from heaven. The word entry suggests inversion into an enemy stronghold. And in the context, it is an invasion of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ into the territory of Satan and idolatry. There is an order in salvation which Paul again observes. First men turn to God from idols, then they save God, and then they wait for the return of Jesus. Please, it's important to keep that order in mind. Turn to God from idols, serve God, and wait for the return of Christ. Now, I would like to look at these verses from a little different point of view. When Paul arrived in Thessalonica, he did not announce that he would give a series of messages denouncing idolatry or telling about errors that were involved in the worship of Apollo, Venus, or any of the other gods and goddesses of the Roman Empire. But when Paul arrived in Thessalonica, he preached Christ. When he preached Christ, they tend to God from idols. Notice that he doesn't say they tend from idols to God. Someone will say, you are splitting hairs. Surely I am. These are hairs that need to be split. We need to do something right here and some straight thinking about it. How you tend to God from idols. Now, we hear today that repentance is essential to salvation. Repentance and believing are presented as two steps in a process. Actually, they are both wrapped up in the same package. And you have them both right here. When Paul preached Christ, they tend to God from idols. I want you to see something that is very important. When they tend to God, that is the work of faith. That is what faith did. The Lord Jesus said, This is the work of God that you believe on him whom he has sent. John 6 verse 29. So these people turned to God from idols. They turned from idols too. That's right. That is repentance. The repentance followed the turning to God. It didn't precede it. When they tend to God, they automatically tend from idols. Take your hand, my friend, and hold it so that the palm of your hand is facing toward you. Now turn your hand around. When you turn your hand around, the backside of your hand now faces you, and the palm of your hand automatically turned away from you. Just so, you cannot tend to Christ Jesus without Turning from something, my friend. That turning from something is repentance. We need to hold up Jesus Christ as the Savior from sin. A man needs to know he is a lost sinner. He can sit and weep about his sins until Judgment Day, and it won't do him one bit of good. It is only when a person turns to Christ that he will turn from something, he will turn from his sin. If a man doesn't turn from his sin, it is because he has not yet turned to Christ. (laughs) Now, I'm sure that when the Thessalonian believers turned from their idols, they wept over the time they had wasted in idolatry. After they had turned to God, there was a real repentance over the misspent years. The turning to God became first, then They realized that turning to God meant turning from idols. Now I want to point out that Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world, is to be preached to a world of lost sinners. But the message of repentance is preached to the church. Read the messages to the seven churches of Asia Minor as recorded in the book of Revelation, chapter 2 and chapter 3. The message of the Lord Jesus to the churches is to repent. Today, it seems that the church is telling everyone outside the church to repent. The Bible teaches that it is the people in the church who need to repent. We need to get down on our faces before God and repent, my friend. That is not the message for us to give to the unsaved man down the street. He needs to know that He has a Savior, so he can turn to the Savior to serve the living and true God. The Thessalonians were now serving God. It was the labor of love. You cannot save Christ until you love him. The Lord Jesus, remember, he said, if you love me, keep my commandments. John 14 verse 15. Suppose you don't love him, then there are none of his commandments for you. You think you want to go out to preach the gospel, but you don't love him? Then, my friend, stay home. To go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature is a command, and it is for those who love him. If you don't love him, don't do it, my friend. When Jesus talked to Simon Peter, as recorded in John 21, he didn't ask Peter, why in the world did you deny me? He didn't say to Peter, Peter, do you promise me you will do better if I let you preach the sermon on the day of Pentecost? He never said anything like that. Rather, he asked him, Peter, do you love me? If Peter had said no, I think the Lord would have told him to forget about saving him. Does that sound harsh to you? I didn't say it, my friend. Jesus did. If you love me, keep my commandments. And to wait for his son from heaven. That doesn't mean to wait sitting down. It means you get busy. It means you love him and you are busy. If you love Christ, you will serve him. You are busy for him while you wait for him. The resurrection of Christ Is the focus of all Christian's constant attitude of attentive service while we wait for the return of Christ. This event will deliver the believer from the time of the wrath that will come. Are you expecting him to come? He is coming soon. Are you ready? You can have copies of the notes and outlines used for these Living Word for Africa programs so you can follow them as you listen. For your copies, please send an email to info at twrafrica.org. Please say which book of the Bible you want them for and be sure to include your name and contact information. Let me repeat that email address for you. info at twrafrica.org.